What was God thinking? Let us remember the words of Psalm 118, 22 to 24. The same stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. On this day the Lord has acted. We will rejoice and be glad in it. The, uh, the New Testament reading was from Hebrews. And there's one passage, one, one verse there that I particularly wanted to point out to you to make sure you didn't miss it. Because it says, He purifies people from their sins. Both He and those who are made pure all have the same Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them His brothers or His family. That's from the Good News translation. And uh, a few years back, I was... I actually started doing a sermon series on Hebrews, which I soon abandoned because it got way over my head. But uh, I did make it through that verse, and uh, it was after that that I added the, and he is not ashamed to the blessing that I give at the end of the service. He's not mad at you, and he is not ashamed because uh, clearly tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 that that the Lord, that God, that Jesus is not ashamed of us, even though we may be shameful of some of the things we've done and thoughts we've had. <clears throat> but there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. So I thought, well, let's talk about sex today. Uh, <laughs> with that introduction the, uh, the Old Testament reading was from Genesis chapter 2 and reading it from the Living Bible it says the Lord God said it, it isn't good for man to be alone I will make a companion for him a helper suited to his needs so the Lord, God, the Lord God formed from the soil every kind of animal and bird and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever he called them that was their name but still, there was no proper helper for the man. Then the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and took one of his ribs and closed up the place from which he had removed it and made the rib into a woman and brought her to the man. This is it, Adam exclaimed. She is part of my own bone and flesh. Her name is woman because she was taken out of a man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife in such a way that the two become one, become one person. So there you go, we have the explanation and there's no questions left, right? No issues resolving our sexuality and our sex experience, our sex life. Uh, it's just for a man and woman to procreate and have a family. Well, there have been times when the church taught that, <clears throat> and that is definitely a reason that God in His wisdom created us as sexual beings. But overall, I have to agree with the author of a book I came across recently, a lady named Mo Isom, and as a just published, uh, it's a combination of uh, her understanding of what the scriptures teaches along with a very candid and honest uh, 
testimony of her own failure and redemption of of her life. Uh, the name of the book is Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot. Overall, I agree with her, her, her assumption that the church has not enjoyed much, very much success at all in teaching and addressing the down-to-life, everyday issue of our sexuality, at least not in recent centuries. And especially since 1960, which is really all that I can address, I mean, I understood growing up in a Christian home and in a, a very fundamental church that sex before marriage was wrong. That was made crystal clear. I never had any doubts about what the Bible taught. But I am not sure. In fact, I'm pretty sure I had no kind of understanding on why God designed us to only enjoy the gift of sex with someone that we'd made a lifelong commitment to. So, as we wade into this topic, I ask you to think about how do you see the opposite sex and how do you see your own sexuality? So this young mother of two, uh, her, at the time that she was writing the book, uh, she was actually pregnant with her second child. A former soccer star in college at LSU, she, she writes with an amazing transparency and uh, a boldness about her own mistakes and her confusion growing up in this culture that we live in that has hijacked everything sexual and exploited it without any boundaries or concern for the well-being of our society or of us. She does a really amazing job. She presents the truths from Scripture clearly spoke clearly spoken in the scriptures in a way that is both appealing and freeing. That is a rare thing in this uh, culture war that we ha have seen our culture in surrounding what is right and wrong and what is good and bad and what is acceptable and unacceptable that regarding sex and faith in the church. But if there's one thing that we have no excuse for wondering what, what the will of God is for our life, it is concerning sex. The short answer to the question I chose for the sermon title, What Was God Thinking?, is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. God's will, God's will is, there it is in black and white, God's will is for you to be holy to stay away from all sexual sin, then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God in his ways. So that's God's will for our life, that we would uh, control our bodies, and make choices that are honoring to him and honoring to ourselves and honoring to all the uh, men and women that we share this life with. But as we have learned from seeing history played out through the many generations from Abraham to the appointed time when Christ was born, knowing what the right thing to do is and having the power to do the right thing are not the same. 
what we learn from the Bible and especially from the teachings of Christ and the writings in the New Testament is that the law, as good as it was, and the law is good, it had no power to transform a fallen and a broken heart. The, the law gave us the rules, but it gave us no power to be able to live by those rules. So let's take a closer look at why God has established sex as exclusive territory for a married man and woman. Genesis chapter 1 verses 27 to 28 simply says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. As Mo expounded on this passage, she said, When I read this scripture, my heart dives in so much deeper than the few words on the page. I see the beginnings of a love letter written to our hearts about who we are, whose we are, and what God has for us. As I think about this passage, I see in it that God put within us, within each of us, the freedom to choose. It's part of the way that we were created in His image, is this freedom of choice that we have. We can choose what to believe. We can choose from the options available to us what we will do. And in our time and culture, those options are almost unlimited, both for good and for bad. I don't believe we choose how we feel, but we certainly do choose how we react to or respond to our feelings and emotions. So I believe one of the most important reasons God designed us with the ability to make these choices is because it reveals to us, and to God, and eventually in one way or another to everyone else who we really are and what we really desire. Psalm 139 verses 13 to 14 sings, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Yes, God created sex and saw that it was good. If sex is God's design and sex is one of his greatest gifts to us, however, it, it comes with certain clear and specific instructions. Instructions that have for the most part been deconstructed in our modern times. And in the name of personal liberty and privacy, the once generally accepted rules for sexual conduct within a civilized society have been eroded and undermined. What we have ended up <clears throat> with in most cases, or in some cases, are young men and women who have sprinted through all the experiences offered by a cheaper view of sex and the empty rewards of false intimacy, only to find their hearts unfulfilled and aching and empty. Some have even turned to harming themselves by burning or cutting their own body in a desperate attempt to feel something real. They've become numb to feeling, seemingly exhausted the whole range of 
human emotions and feelings and experiences, at least in their view, in their minds. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? At one point, as Mo is describing her descent into her habit of porn use, she says, It's amazing looking back at how good I was at convincing myself of all those twisted things. The creativity that we have of justifying our sin is frightening. And that is the reason many experts on recovery teach that developing close friendships with other members of the same sex is critical to long-term healthy recovery from addiction or from any habit that we're struggling to change. We need to have people in our life that we respect and trust who we can be totally honest to and transparent with. In order for those kinds of relationships to develop, we have to talk regularly, almost daily, and work on learning how to communicate what we're really thinking, what we're doing, what we're thinking about doing, and what we're feeling. Let me go over that list again. We need to learn how to communicate what we're thinking, what we're doing, what we're thinking about doing and how we feel what we're feeling. Those things don't come naturally to me. It's a real struggle for me to do that. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. <clears throat> it's also scary to me how uh, the enemy works or maybe it's not always the enemy it's our own fallen nature to slowly and uh, deceptively lure us back into uh, into old habits that we have made vows to give up uh, of to uh, desensitize us ever so gradually uh, so that we slide back down into the ditch that we had been rescued out of and, and again that's another reason why in my opinion it's critical that we seek out uh, a deeper level of community and relationships with others so that uh, we can be we can have a few people in our life that we can be completely honest with and to confess our failures and to ask for wisdom and guidance and prayer and uh, direction and encouragement First Corinthians chapter 6 verse 12 says you say I am allowed to do anything but not everything is good for you 
and even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. And there's uh, the crunch of the matter. Is another reason why, in his wisdom, God gave us the perfect means to find fulfillment, to experience the great gift that he has given us, and that being to be shared between a husband and a wife after they have made a commitment to each other to honor and respect and love each other. We leverage the argument of personal freedom to make ourselves feel better, either forgetting or altogether ignoring that God himself has spoken to that exact issue through Paul's letter to the Corinthians. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. Paul goes on to call out our excuses and speak truth. You say I am allowed to do everything, but not everything is good for you. You say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned about your own good, but for the good of others. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verses 23 and 24. <clears throat> In sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians, we find food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food, but you can't say that our bodies, but you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality, for they were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. God will raise us up from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You did not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. 1 John, everyone who has this hope fixed on Christ purifies himself just as he is pure. Mark chapter 7, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You're defiled by what comes out of your heart. In Psalm 51, creating me a clean heart, O God, renew a loyal spirit within me. So we make choices day by day, hour by hour, in and out. And even more so now that we have these wonderful, horrible, despicable, awesome smartphones. Uh, anyone who has internet access, whether it's on their phone or some other method, some other 
means uh, has got instant availability of images and videos and every other possible kind of portrayal of nudity and sexuality and sex acts uh, that is just mind-blowing. Uh, and it's a constant temptation for most uh, children and adults who come across it. Once you've seen it, it's, uh, it's hard to develop uh, a Christ-like view and spirit and to walk in purity and integrity. One of the things that I really liked about Mo's approach to this topic was, but for one, there's no self-righteousness in it, for she continually unfolds more and more of her story from one end of the book to the other and her failures and her redemption and the amazing work of God in her life uh, that has um, delivered her from a very common, typical college student's life uh, here in this time and age in which we live to a devoted mother and wife who is boldly sharing her faith and encouraging other men and women and boys and girls to examine their own choices and to strive and commit to uh, not just keep a list of rules that doesn't work she's tried very hard and done a really great job of, of taking the, some of the scriptures I've shared and many more and expounding on them to help us to see the why behind the law the why behind why does these things matter and how do they affect us how do they affect our view of each other of uh, especially in a, in a sexual way uh, and uh, she doesn't advocate uh, any kind of attempt to shut it all out because it's impossible almost almost impossible it's, there's a few groups who uh, still work hard at insulating themselves from the temptation and the filth and evil that's all around us um, but they are pretty much shunned by culture in general and even by the church in general uh, and they have their own issues and they, they, what they find out is it doesn't solve the problem anyway uh, if, you, if you look very much below the surface of those Christian groups who have attempted to avoid modern technology uh, they still have the same struggles and temptations that the rest of us do it's just manifested and played out in a different way so the real issue is even though we we, we can't control um, I didn't I didn't actually make it to to that quote but she says even though we can't control what's set before us to eat we can ch choose what we put into our mouth 
even though we can't control what's put before ourselves before us to eat we can control what we choose to put into our mouth and uh, you know that applies in every area of our life and it's easy to see that bad decisions if we constantly make bad decisions financially we're going to be bankrupt if we constantly make bad decisions about our eating and our fitness we're going to be obese and overweight and suffer all kinds of ways physically from from those poor choices it's not always so evident the effect of poor poor choices that we make <clears throat> regarding our purity because so much of it is, can be done privately and kept secret first in some cases maybe could be taken to the grave and no one ever know uh, the specifics and the details of your own struggles and secrets but you can't hide and escape the effects that those choices have no more than the person who has uh, become addicted to food and gained 600 pounds uh, you still have that baggage in your psyche in your soul and your mind even in your body to a degree uh, and especially for a believer and a Christian who is who <clears throat> has the Holy Spirit within them and has become so desensitized and has become so good at justifying their failures <clears throat> uh, that they no longer sense the convicting power of the Holy Spirit when they do slip up or make bad choices. Uh, it's, uh, I know from my own experience, uh, before I was able to seek help and, be, and learn how to start to be honest, I lived under a great cloud of, of darkness and didn't even know it. It had begun to make me cynical, cynical toward God, cynical, very cynical toward myself and even toward other people that people can change and that there was, that the power of God was as real as I, that I know as we know it is. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, there's uh, that's a huge problem and that's why <laughs> I have to keep coming back to it. Uh, so if, uh, if it's not an area that you struggle in, then the Lord be with you and I'm happy for you and just ask for you to have the grace to allow the rest of us to work through these things. Um, it's through the transformation of our heart that's where it all starts uh, Psalms 101 verse 3 says I will set no worthless thing before my eyes 10, Psalm 101 verse 3 I will set no worthless things before my eyes and that's a great ideal to strive toward but you, as you drive down the road and there's a billboard ever how many feet a billboard is huge and a nearly naked woman on this billboard it's kind of hard to uh, to honestly you know live by that verse 
but yet just like I said earlier even though there we can't control everything that is set in front of us we can control those things that we choose to dwell on and how we react to the images that we see and learning to see each other as and, by, and when I say each other I mean every image that we see of a human being to see them as a image bearer of God to recognize that every female is somebody's daughter every male is somebody's son somebody's brother somebody's uh, in some cases become mothers and fathers they're people just like we are just like our children are and uh, that's been that was one of the things that the Lord used to convict me so much as I struggled with with porn was having to admit to myself that you know that I'm looking at images of young women and I have daughters of my own that are that age how would I feel about men goo you know slobbering over my daughter's photos even though hopefully they don't have those kind of photos as far as I know well, maybe I'm getting too personal here. <laughs> Let's, let me get back to on track here. We have to take responsibility for ourselves. Love, love others well and hold tight to Romans 14, 10 to 13, which remind us. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. So each one of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. <clears throat> uh, when, when the author got to talking about the passage in John chapter 4 the woman at the well she used the word uh, dehydrated uh, that Jesus met a woman that was dehydrated at the well and led her to the well of living water so I thought that was a powerful uh, <laughs> yeah yeah uh, Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, drink, uh, think continually on these things and drink these things. Center your mind on them and plant them in your heart. Philippians 4.8 from the Amplified Bible. Finally, I have to comment on the gospel reading from Mark chapter 10, in which Jesus presents a very high view of marriage and confirms that marriage is something that should be entered into once as a lifelong commitment by his strong warnings against divorce. But there are other passages in which he gives some exceptions when divorce is allowable. allowable. Uh, but we as believers definitely want to always work toward and help others attempt to uh, salvage 
marriages when at all possible and and we want to avoid the mistakes that churches have made in the past by condemning and making second-class citizens out of those who do suffer the pain and trauma of a failed marriage and so there's grace for us all um, so that's it let's stand and proclaim our common faith in the Nicene Creed page